0: Welcome to the Black Dog Sports Podcast. We have an exciting show tonight. We'll start off with a wrap-up of the SEC Media Days. Then we'll discuss the NCAA transfer rule. The good and the bad for Mississippi State and the country in general. Uh, The guys are also going to preview the offensive line and tight end position for the Bulldogs. And we're going to finish off by debating who is the best former Bulldog currently in the nfl so i'm gonna go ahead and start this episode off the same way that i start all of the episodes by introducing the guys and seeing what they have on their minds so i'm going to start off with mr jeremiah short what you got for us tonight i'm just excited
1: really to talk about bulldog sports of course it's kind of a slow season but we know training camp is about to start soon so we know business is about to pick up so i'm just excited to kind of just talk about Keep talking about the preview and the team and just um, what fans have to look forward to uh, for this upcoming season.
0: Right, right, right. So, the next person that I'm going to introduce, Mr. Derek Thomas, we're going to see where his head is at. What's up, Derek?
2: And my birthday tomorrow, I'm all about partying. So, when we get off of this show, I'm getting out of the house, going to have some fun.
0: Okay, so that sounds great. Um, Interesting tidbit of information. My birthday is August 4th, which is like a couple of Sundays from now. So hooray for that. All right. So we got that part out of the way. So we need to start off talking about SEC Media Day, especially Joe Moorhead's revelation that he might have spoke a little bit too soon talking about, you know, (laughs) getting fitted for the rings and all of that good stuff. Turns out that being a head coach in the SEC is just a little bit different than being up north. So um, I'm going to start off with Jeremiah to get his thoughts. matter of fact, first I got to point out the fact that we are picked to finish fifth in the West, which I am thoroughly excited about because you know what that means. We're actually going to have a good season. So, Jeremiah, (laughs) what you got for us tonight? Okay,
1: first I'll just address his comments of him saying, uh, essentially, like he kind of may uh, maybe overshot it with all the uh, the fluster and just saying that. Oh, miss, get your ring ready and get the highs from and trove and the mantle. I mean, I still think it was a hype thing, kind of similar to like when Lane Kiffin came to Tennessee and they were doing the oh, I'm gonna take my shirts off and do all this crazy stuff. And guys coming from these different conferences, um, I think like they were saying with Lane Kiffin when he first came to the SEC, he was used to being um, at USC and basically where. You know, you had to do a bunch of crazy stuff just to get attention, being in Hollywood and all that stuff. As you see, you really don't have to do a lot to get attention. Um, whether you're at a Mississippi State or or a Tennessee, you know, you just saying anything is attention. So you do say talk crazy, then of course people are gonna really pay attention and probably more than you really want them to. But I think Moorhead just came in with a lot of hype and he wanted to get the fans' base excited. And then he said some things he probably should have said. And you know, he at least I, I respect as someone else had pointed out that he actually said a lot of coaches won't even admit they were wrong and their approach to something. And that's something I've kind of like grown to appreciate about him more head. And I've told people, I think that, you know, that's going to be a good trait of his, but the other side of it that I feel fans need to really look at, he basically was saying, like, he was kind of alluding to the fact that he, he didn't, he should have realized that, Hey, this is Mississippi state, you know, not like, Hey, this is the first, my first shot squad. You know, I shouldn't have probably came with all that. He was like, I should have realized the school I'm coming to that's essentially what he was saying. So I almost felt like it felt like a bit, bit of a sneak dis in a way. Like I'm saying, meant to be State. I shouldn't even be saying this type of stuff. Um, I might be wrong, but I'm a more head. Of course, I'm a Morehead supporter, but that's a statement, you know, um, that I kind of – that's how I took it when I, I looked at the particular statement. Now, to the second thing as far as what we picked, I think it's a little misleading when you see that – of course, when we pick last, that's bad. But when you pick to be fifth in the SEC on your side of a conference, it looks bad in theory – but when you're in SC West, that's really not that bad. I mean, I think it was one year, that year, a matter of fact, the same year that we were number one in the nation, but SC West, none of the teams lost to anybody outside of SC West teams for like most of the year. So you have to kind of look at that as well. Where you have to look at, and I think we ultimately only lost Alabama and oh Miss that year. So we still in the lost the SEC West team. So I think even though we we're voted fifth, I don't think people are slighting us. Although I do think we we're probably better than a A and M, we're probably better than LSU, because I have no faith in Joe Burrow. And so outside of Alabama, I don't think it's a situation where none of those teams should be ranked substantially ahead of us. But at the same time, it is kind of, in in this case being fifth behind them might be kind of a good underdog thing where nobody really sees us coming and then we come out and we're one of the best teams in the SEC and right behind Alabama right there going toe-to-toe with them until we play them. So I think in a in a way I don't think it's a complete slight, but it might be good that we're fifth because people won't necessarily expect us to do big things and we'll have a chance to do it
0: without all the hype. Right, because that's exactly what I'm thinking is that every time we go into a season with high expectations, it ends up being a disaster. Anytime where we fly under the radar, we end up going to a pretty good bowl game. So I'm going to go ahead and get the thoughts of Mr. Derek Thomas as far as SEC media days is concerned.
2: You know what? I hate to be a mimic behind Jeremiah, but I remember when Joe Moorehead made that comment like, get your rings ready, with your ring sizes, we're going to win a championship. Wow. The Mississippi State fan in me was like, wow, he really is bold. The realism in me, as far as knowing that we've never won an ACC championship, want to be like, what is he doing? He's setting these expectations, knowing good and well, you know, (laughs) who the top dog is in the SEC. We couldn't beat them when we had the best talent that we had. And even though we had a tremendous defense, I mean, we did not have the offensive toys that Joe Mohead needed to run his offense. So basically, it's like a kid wants to play with Voltron and ends up playing with G.I. Joe. Um, that's kind of the offense that we had. Um, but it's good to see, like Jeremiah said, it was good for him to admit that he was wrong. I was actually quite surprised. Like, wow, I mean, he actually admitted that he shouldn't have said that. Now, I won't say this is Mr. State. I don't take that as a diss. I mean, that's just acknowledging where we are. We're middle of the middle-of-the-road program right now with the ability right. to, you know, jump ahead. You know, look what we did in 2014. Look what we had in 2018, and we talked about what we could have been had Muller not left. Well, now it's Joe Moorhead's program to shape and mold into his Voltron, so to say. Form Voltron, you know what I'm saying? Get your quarterback, get your offense, recruit here and there, tweak things, be able to adjust now is really your team in year 2 you know what i'm saying um you know and i think we're going i think we're going to outplay that fifth ranking I, I think even though i didn't pick us to beat texas and and lsu uh, and i picked us to go 8 and 4 uh, i do think there's a chance we could beat texas and m if we if our defense steps up and definitely lsu i mean lsu even though they have a lot of talent they have a lot of talent coming back and then one thing that they have against us ahead of us is they know who their quarterback is going to be. Even though you don't have faith in Joe Burrow, Jeremiah, the man performed, I would rather have right now have Joe Burrow than anybody we have on our roster as far as he has already gone through a full sec season and he (laughs) whooped up on Georgia. I mean, he, he whooped up on Georgia. They whooped up on us. So, you know, As far as experience-wise, he is more experienced than anybody we have on our roster. So, I mean, stats don't lie. Game time doesn't lie. He is. That's just a proven fact. Our players may not want to hear that, but that is the truth.
0: Okay. So, uh, actually, Jeremiah, sounds like you want to rebut. So, what are you thinking over there?
1: Well, that's probably more to Joe Burrow and just – I don't see it. Like, this is my little – his numbers aren't bad. I would never – hate on him and say that he his numbers are poor. I just don't see great quarterback. I see he's average and like he's a guy like I don't think he's a guy I would look at lsu and like, oh man, they're really gonna take it to the top they got Joe Burrow at the Q Q B position. I don't look at it like that. Now I do agree with you saying about possibly having having a more experienced guy than the guys. Now I do feel like he's our quarterback. I would feel comfortable in the sense of, you know, I think he at least can we need a, at least an average quarterback. Like, at this point right now, we don't know what any of our quarterbacks are going to be. We don't even know if they'll be average, whether it's Key, uh, KT or a uh, or um, Tommy Stevens or any of the other guys, just for that matter. You can't really say they'll be anything well, but Maiden. below average at this point. Yes, Jalen Maiden, I know that's your guy, um, mm-hmm. will be anything but uh, anything but average at this point. But I'll take average at this point with, the, with our quarterbacks. I feel like with Colin Hill, Seeming like he's ready to, to have a great season. I mean, if, if he at least performs up to his uh, weightlifting aspirations or uh, weightlifting uh, ability, then I'm sure he'll have a monster season if we if were to go off of that. But, you know, you don't play games in the, in the, um, in the um, weight room. So, so you prepare um, for games yeah.
2: in the weight room, though. You prepare for games in the weight room. So yes. it's essential that his body is strong.
0: And that was Correct. an awesome, awesome squat video. Of Colin Hill. I know that the next person I'm about to go to is the president of the Joe Moorhead fan club. So I know that when we talk about (laughs) the expectations of, uh, well, him talking about get your rings ready and telling um, the best quarterback in Mississippi State history, Nick Fitzgerald, to clear off his mantle for a Heisman Trophy. I know that Ricardo Suggs was, you know kind of shocked by that statement because he knew that coach Moorhead and he still feels as though that coach Moorhead is the guy that's going to lead us to a national championship um and he was also (laughs) shocked that Nick Fitzgerald did not get that Heisman, you know so uh Ricardo what 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 were you feeling when Joe Moorhead made that statement that he was a bit overwhelmed by his first year experience in the SEC, coming from the Big Ten.
3: Shoot, he should be drug-tested.
0: Somebody somebody can check his cup, what he had in his cup, he should be drug-tested. Because I know that he he
3: must not have been looking at the same games that we were looking at, or the same quarterback that we were looking at for the past oh two years before he got there. So, um... I I sat back and listened to what the guys were saying about when it came to HCP Media Day and where we were projected to fall. I feel like, personally, they, they got it about right because um, us as lifelong state fans, um, basically we're, whenever we're ranked in the bottom five, six, seven, we usually have a pretty good seat. We We always end up winning eight, nine, might sneak a ten game in there, but um honestly um I heard uh what Jeremiah and derek said um i, I agree with most of the sentiments they were they were speaking on, but i'm a, i'm wanna go above and beyond about the, is this not gonna be any, for any shock value or anything to get our views up because we're almost we're already there but i am i'm wanna i'm wanna I'm go outside the box and say that this year we' we're gonna we're gonna do something that we haven't done in a while, and I feel like Alabama's gonna be that game because, for one, it it it's set up just perfectly and just right because they come to Starkville this year. And really, to be honest, I it really don't matter who the quarterback is if everybody else is on the same page. And I feel like with our defenses, you know, with the people that came back, they have a lot to prove. Because we have a lot of juniors and seniors on that defense uh, compared to last year when we had an all-world defense, basically. And I feel like that this defense is probably going to be hanging around with it, but not. I feel like they'll probably be a top 15 in the nation defense, uh, probably in the middle of the pack in the SEC. But I believe we're going to get stops when we need to. But to, just to make a shocking prediction, I feel like we can go 9-3 this year. And I feel like one of those victories, one of nine victories, is going to be against Alabama. And LSU, we might—I'm I'm pretty much—I feel like LSU will have the better quarterback because we we play them there, I believe this year. I, I know. You no, know, we play LSU in Starkville, I think. Oh, we do. Okay, we will we play them in Starkville this year. Well, I I feel like I'm gonna go bro, and I, I might sound hypocritical, but I'm gonna just—I'm gonna be—I'm being logical. And we're saying that LSU might get up because of the quarterback play. Joe Joe Burrow is more experienced. He's more, he's the more proven quarterback out of, uh, Tommy Stevens or, or, uh, Tom Keaton, whoever starts. You know what I'm saying? Stevens, so he, he's damn sure the more proven, more proven quarterback. I would rather roll with Burrow than
2: Tommy Stevens because you know what you're going to get. So. Okay. Go ahead. Okay, so you're saying we're going to beat Alabama and yeah. lose to LSU, but then you're comparing quarterback play. Burrow is not better than Tua. Tua has an national Championship ring last time I checked. And you said Joe Burrow needs to be drug tested. Man, you need to be drug tested. breathalyzed, <laughs> urine, urine <laughs> test and everything. If you think we're beating Alabama okay. this year. Now I want life for uh-huh. it to happen, but it ain't happening. Not this year. Okay, okay. Okay, well, I'm
3: going I'm to I'm I'm go with this. I'm going to go with this. I, I really didn't put the stamp on that LSU game because I thought we were playing them down in Baton Rouge and shit. That's why I pretty much, you know what I'm saying? But I, I feel like this. I said we could win nine games, a possibility of a team. Now, we beat LSU and Alabama. Now, the two, the two losses we'll probably end up getting, I think it's going to be somebody like we usually didn't expect. I feel like it's probably gonna be I don't know, uh cause do we go to college station this year or do they come to us? We go to college station. Okay, with well that that I feel like Texas and them gonna be a better team this year than they were last year. And True. I think yeah, that 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 I believe that's one of the games that we're gonna lose is in college station. Uh now with the other games, um that's why I say I, I still got stock in this. Uh, because I feel like in going into the Alabama game, and it's gonna sound crazy coming me saying this, but I, I I feel like we should be undefeated going into that game. We should be. I, I, I don't I don't disagree with
1: that. I think like going into the uh, Alabama game, I think like if I look at that schedule, I look at the fact you have an like LSU or Auburn or Texas A and M, just playing all those teams. I, I think we'll be Kentucky. We'll beat teams like that. It's feasible for us to go into the Alabama game very much. 8 no, I think the thing. Mm-hmm the biggest question is going to be that quarterback position. If we have a quarterback that steps in and it's not, we would have to need our quarterback to be good. If our quarterback is average, we can go into that game six and two or seven and one. I don't think our quarterback has to be great this year at all for us to win games at all. When you have a Colin Hill yeah. in, the back, in the backfield, assuming he stays healthy, with a Nick Gibson behind him, I think you got enough. And as someone else pointed out in an article I think I read earlier, it might have been Paul Jones. The fact, And they kind of said it in a slicker way, something that you talked about, Ricardo, where they were saying how the quarterback's not going to be eating up half the carries. And they pointed out how Fitzgerald almost had double the carries of a Colin Hill, which is absurd yeah. in my opinion. But, um, I mean, I would never even disagree with that at all, um, anyone making an opinion that that's crazy, um, especially when a guy with that ability, level of talent, especially considering he had Aries behind him. But that's here nor there. He's not a quarterback mm-hmm. anymore. So the fact you got, if a guy like a Colin Hill gets 200 carries, just projected off what he did last year, he potentially could have 2,000 yards from scrimmage if he catching the ball out the backfield and all that. So having a running back like that is going to give us a leg up. We're going to get his offensive line, so I'll save my you know opinion on them. But if our receivers are even average and our quarterback is good, we can go into that game 8-0. I think a lot of it, you can't say, no one can say that we can't beat Alabama. I think our biggest uncertainty right now on the D-line right now is, we of course, you don't have a Jeffrey Simmons. You may not have that elite pass rusher and the tackle position is highly improving because you're basically playing with a bunch of freshmen and seniors who were just, you know, rotation guys, second, third stringers. So you can't really bank on any of them right now because you just are being um, a little, you know, you can't really just trust freshmen like that, but he got six yep. of them. One or two of them are bound to be good at the D-tackle position. But if that position struggled, you easily could slide down Marcus Spencer or Kobe Jones and maximize your talent at that position on your D-line, excuse me. So I think we'll be okay on the D-line, especially when you consider you might have one of the best linebacker duos, maybe trios, if you, if Lil' Lewis was to step his game up. Two uh, uh, All-SEC, All-American caliber cornerback, and uh, a cornerback, another cornerback in Smitherman who's pretty good, and then you have some good safeties, a good uh, group of safeties. So the the talent is there. No one can say talent wise. And a team like Alabama, that would be the perfect game for us to get them if we have a good quarterback. If we had a great quarterback, I would for darn sure pick us to beat them. I don't know if either of those guys will be great this year. That would mean they'd be deck level. But if it was great. I for sure think. I mean, I it wouldn't even be crazy to think national championship. I know that might sound silly or crazy. But it, that that's what it would take for us to be that good. But to say that we would be undefeated, and me agreeing with Ricardo, I know that's rare. For us to be undefeated and going to Alabama, that's not a crazy thought, but it would take our quarterback being good, not average, not even above average.
3: But uh, piggybacking on what you're saying, Jeremiah, like I, I think it sets up for us nice. I, I don't know if any, a lot of y'all is in here are old enough to remember this, but this, this schedule that we have this year kind of sets up to one we had like in like the late 90s. When we had all those no those big bulk of home games in the beginning. And it was like, oh man, it's like you sent to licking your chest, like, man, we could actually go into this certain game undefeated. And it's like we were we were ranked to almost be Nicky. The next or almost dead last in the SEC West or in the SEC period. And we snuck off there. I wanna say it was even ninety eight. I wanna say that was ninety eight if I could, if I can recall. And that's why I'm saying like we could actually be a dark horse because no one is expecting us to do anything just because we lost Fitzgerald and, and other people that we lost. Like, I think I want to say if i seen on one list this week, we had one of our cornerbacks was a Thorpe uh, Award. Uh, I guess it was in one mm-hmm. of the running this year for it. So it, it, it's really not out of the realm of the imagination to, to believe that because I think the only problem I feel like we have as a team when it comes to Alabama is believing. You got to believe you can beat them. You know what I'm saying? And, like, and, I, go ahead. I, I, well, I would say that's the difference between,
1: you know, that's why I am a supporter of Moorhead. I do feel like I'm not going to go, he's a big game coach, because you have to actually, you know, win the big game. But at the same time, I feel like this, you know, we beat A&M last year. They were considered a pretty good team. At, I mean, they were top ten in the nation last year. Um, I feel like Moorhead doesn't, co- as i stated before, doesn't coach tight in the big game. So if it comes in a situation where we're not even with Alabama talent-wise, no, by no stretch. But if we go into that game and we got a little bit of momentum and we have good, solid play at that quarterback position, there's no reason to think we can't beat Alabama because Nick Saban doesn't allow his team to take someone lightly, but I think we have the ability to beat them. And let's yeah, just and say it's, Tua it's, gets hurt or something like that was to get to happen. out have the of possibility we can actually beat them, and I don't know if that, is that, is that game at home this year or is it on the road. Yeah, so, yeah,
3: uh, I think Alabama's in stock with this year. I think someone just said this. And um, and so, think about this though, Jerry. My yes, Alabama to, uh, is that, in Starkville this same year. That same Texas A&M team we beat last year. Who, who who won that championship this year? And they hung in there with Texas A&M almost beat Clemson last year. We beat that same Texas A&M team. Think about
1: this. Well, we know that that's not always the most clear-cut thing. You say you beat this team because styles make fights. So sometimes people just beat yeah. you just because, uh, yeah. So you're because like when we beat Texas A&M last year, the situation their defense was horrible and our defense was dominant. So it's kind of like. Mm -hmm, you It's kind of like, who are you playing? So it's kind of, you know, we're able to beat them just because of that. Their defense was just that bad that it made our offense look good. But our defense was dominant. Mm -hmm. So, of course, that's a game where we're going to play well. Our real problem against most teams was that their defense was pretty good and our offense was horrible. So it kind of balanced. We ended up in these 10 to 7 games or these games where we lost we had no business losing because we had the best defense in the nation, literally. This wasn't a figure like, oh, we think we might have had the best defense in the nation. No, we literally had the best defense in the nation, and we just threw it away. But, you know.
0: All right, good discussion, good discussion. But one thing that I want to point out about Texas a and is that we know that every year, and I think that the coaching change didn't do anything for it. Maybe this year it will. But every year, Texas a and always starts the season off you know, undefeated 6-0 and or something like it, and then they fade away like a Michael Jordan jump shot at the end of the season, it never fails. But <laughs> that's another story for another topic for another day. And our next topic is about the transfer rule. Now, the transfer rule is kind of in the news right now because Harbaugh, Michigan's coach, was talking about how he feels as though that um students should be able to have one transfer that they can do without any type of penalty or anything like that. He also mentioned about players using mental health as an excuse to be able to transfer. He was probably shading Justin Fields, but that's neither here nor there. Um so, it's something that we want to discuss because Mississippi State has been getting a lot of transfers. So, where does this kind of factor in for us? So on this particular topic, I'm going to start off with Jeremiah once again.
1: Um, I think it can factor in for us. I know we got a potential transfer that could uh, potentially play this year, Allen Love, that fits more under that rule. The other guys, I think, were senior uh, graduate transfers, so they're kind of under the old transfer rule. Um, But the new transfer rule could really help us because you really look at it as a Mississippi State, we're kind of that um, bridesmaid sometime in recruiting. And a lot of guys ended up, end up at the Alabamas or end up at a school like that. And they go that first year, and then they get recruited over. In a sense, it, say what Jim um, Jim Harbaugh is positing or saying that they should do, that would help us because guys like that can go – let's say you have a Nigel Knight or you have a Scott Lashley or those guys that end up at those big schools, but it doesn't work out. And then after that first or that second year, like, hey, I'm going to do it. And, like, I'm going to go play at Mississippi State. Assume, say they redshirt, and they leave after their redshirt you know, freshman year, and they can come to Mississippi State and play the last couple of years. Now, I know some people would probably, you know, have problems with a transfer rule where guys can leave after one year, but coaches can leave after one year. And if we transfer colleges after leaving Mississippi State, we don't have to sit out and not take We can't take classes for a year. You know, you get to be able to transfer when you want. These are college students. And I think it would help out. I don't think it'll cause a mass exodus, but I don't see any. I mean, for one, if you're a new coach, why would you have a problem with if you came to a program and uh, they were already bad or something like that. And, well, I mean, of course, that might mean you start cutting people. But why would, like you used to do in the video game, but why would you have an issue with guys being able to leave? I'd rather guys be able to go somewhere where they fit the system instead of a new coach come in and he got to have the force guy. Or you were having, so, say, for example, last year, how this probably would affect us affected us. Aries Williams wasn't projected to start going into the season. I mean, in a sense, it would have us maybe negatively, but a guy like that should be able to transfer after in that, in that situation and go and play and go somewhere and start. And he probably got a job at, maybe even another SEC school. So I don't think anything wrong to rule. I think it would open us up to a lot more, but I think it's a better rule for the student athlete. Now I do agree with Jim Harbaugh. I don't think guys should just be a lead because of mental, just claiming mental health and all these bogus reasons. Cause as a player even said, I think during SC media day, he said that it's really uh benefiting a lot of these high profile guys like Justin Fields and Tate Martell, you know, Tate Martell had no, had no intention on leaving Ohio State, and then Justin Fields came. He transferred, he's immediately eligible. But then we got all these other guys in limbo, like the guy coming to our school, like Alan Love, and I hope they don't make an example of him like in that way. Uh, he's sitting in limbo while these big-name guys are allowed to transfer. So I think that's where the rule has to be streamlined, and they have to fix it. But I see nothing wrong with guys being able to transfer once. Now, I don't think it needs to be where guys can pretty much transfer every year Like, I think that's a bit ridiculous because then college football will basically turn into free agency. They'll be on some uh, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, LeBron, AD type stuff. Guys just be like, hey, I want to go play at this school this year. I want to go play at this school this year. There should be, you know, it still should be a process. You know what I'm saying? Because that just makes it even harder um, for coaches. Um, It's not like the NBA or the NFL, those places where you have contracts. Um, College is every year renewed, so you don't want guys being able to just transfer every year. But at the same time, I don't see why they can't do it once because you might have made a mistake. And so, but sometimes you don't know until you play that season. So you come to a school trying
0: to win a job. If you don't win it, you should just be able to leave. All right. All good points that you made. But let's see if uh, Mr. Derek agrees with him. Well, I I do agree
2: with the one-time no no penalty transfer availability. Because a, a kid may go to a school, he may just not like it there. And you shouldn't punish them because they don't like it there. Or in some cases uh, The deck is stacked Because using Nadja again You know Nadja Was a four star recruit Who undoubtedly probably would have been starting by now At Mississippi State But he has really yet to really crack the top Four cornerbacks At the University of Alabama Guys that have come after him Have now taken over Overcome him So is he going to transfer Is he going to stick it out not really sure. Same goes for Scott Lashley, you know, another Mississippi kid who could have committed to Mississippi State and would have possibly been a starter early in his career, but he's been sitting on the bench at Alabama. Now, what they have done at Alabama, what they couldn't do at Mississippi State is they have national championship rings. So if you look at that aspect of it, I got me a title ring. I wouldn't have that at State. But you, if you, want, if you have a goal to get to the NFL – you have to have film. You have to have playing time. And in some cases, you could still be signed as a undressed free agent and still make it, a la Matt Castle. Uh, but still, transferring for, for players like that, they don't want to sit out a year. They've already been sitting the bench and not playing. So if I transfer, if I'm not a graduate, I cannot play immediately unless I transfer down to the FCS or Division II. So I think the one-time transfer availability rule without penalty, I think that's great. Now, with me working in healthcare, care, uh, which means I know pretty much about HIPAA, and Coach Harbaugh said that he shouldn't think that players should cite uh, mental health as a reason for transferring. I think he's wrong for that because there are many things that can occur in a person's life to where they may just not enjoy where they are and a change of atmosphere can help alleviate any type of depression or emotion distress that they're in. So I don't think he should be worrying about, I, he's the coach. He should care about the player's mental and physical health, but he should not be speaking on what they can and can't use to transfer. Now, um, the young man, Hudson, that was denied his transfer to since Well, he was allowed to transfer, but was not granted immediate eligibility. They said that he did not say at Michigan that he was depressed. He had not been diagnosed. Um, now, that would be determining if they if they if he went through the student health center or not or whatever. If that's if that doesn't exist, then maybe he didn't feel comfortable going there. But if he was diagnosed with depression or felt depression outside of Michigan football, he could that could happen as well. So you can't say that he wasn't depressed and say that he can't use that as a means to leave your program. I mean, football coaches need to realize they bring in recruits every year to take these kids' spots. Every year, every year, every year. It's, it's, it's a non-ending, I guess you could say, a cycle. Every year, 25 or 30 kids are going to be coming in. And if a guy wants to leave, let him go. Now, to piggyback off of Jeremiah, no, I don't think Tate Martell's behind should have been allowed to be uh, to play immediately. What was his reason for transferring? He had no core. He had no issue like Justin Fields. Uh, he didn't have any mental health issues. I mean, yes, Urban Meyer got fired, but that's not a reason for him to uh, be granted immediate eligibility. And like you said, we have Love still waiting. You have, you have other transfers who are still waiting. And guys like Tate Martell, who I like, by the way. I don't dislike Martell. He's a cocky quarterback, but he's talented. He should not have been allowed to, to play immediately at Miami, um, you know, this year. Because we don't have the transfer without penalty rule. But if we had it, by all means, you got that one transfer without penalty.
0: And there you go. You know, um, it's interesting that you brought up Scott Lashley and Nigel not winning national championships, but they didn't actually play. It kind of reminds me of... um, That's correct. There was a school that I was teaching at, and they won a basketball state championship. And one of my students in the classroom was, like, extremely bummed out after they won a state championship. And I was like, y'all just won a state championship. You know, why are you sad? And he was like, yeah, we won the state championship, but I didn't contribute. So I guess that I would imagine that right now they might, maybe they are happy with winning a national championship, even though they didn't play. But um, they might feel like a guy who shows up to a barbecue with a, a bag of ice and then leaves with a bunch of plates and stuff like that. But I'm just putting it out there. So um, Mr. Suggs. What are your thoughts on transferring and the transfer rules?
3: I feel like any player should be able to transfer uh, whenever they want to, um, especially if uh, if you have at least some type of justifiable reason. If you don't, sometimes it's just the fact of like when you go somewhere, like no one can make you stay somewhere you don't want to be. And I feel like that the college is applying that rules to these kids like the NBA is, but basically the NBA has people like Rich Paul and LeBron James basically puppeteering and running running the show to the point where a lot of these guys are doing a whole lot of movement and if they don't want to be somewhere, you can demand a trade a year or two into your contract. But when it comes to kids, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, let them go if they want to go, you know, because if not – what do kids do when they're like let's say if any of you are like me that got kids, what do they do when they when y'all somewhere and they don't wanna be to act up? And you don't want the kid to act because 'cause they'll come down to sanctions and you suspend them for a game or you're gonna end up kicking them off the team and they can lose this scholarship. So let them keep their scholarship, go to another school go to where they wanna be, whether it's another power five or to a uh, SWAC or a Division two, a Division one A school, a Division two, one double-A school, something like that. I feel like they should be able to go where they want. You know, I'm not going to hold you hostage somewhere you don't want to be. That's to an extent kidnapping. So that's my personal opinion on that. Let them go and let them flow and fly as much as, much as they want to fly. They come to one school the next year and i like, you know what, I'm here at Georgia. I don't like it. here. Let me go over here to Mississippi State. You should let them go there and they should be able to play me. Or if you're Mississippi State and you want to go to let's say uh, Nebraska, you should be able to do it. Or if you want to go to Jackson State, you should be able to do that and play immediately. And you can be able to have an immediate impact for that school and help them out financially. So that baby to help you out.
0: Uh, it's interesting that you mentioned Jackson State because, if, if I'm not mistaken, I think that they can. Like if you're at Mississippi State, you can leave and go to like you know a Division One AA or a Championship Division or whatever they call it these days without penalty but a question that i have is i can't help but wonder if we take the attitude towards transferring that we do because mississippi state is a transfer destination and not a place where people transfer out of so if let's say colin hill became disgruntled and decided to transfer to alabama or georgia would we have the same energy towards transfers as we do right now?
1: I do think it could add a situation where players can start using that almost as leverage as far as with playing time and things like that because it won't be because a lot of the time one of the biggest turns is really guys in you having to set out a year. So you say a guy like a Colin Hill, you know, running backs, normally if you're, you're a high-profile running back, you're only in college for three years. So say if you're a starting running back or a running back and after your sophomore year, you know, you want to go get more playing time or get featured more, or get more carries, you know. Of course, you might try to leave, but say, under the new rules, you had to sit out a year. So um, that's basically a year you miss a playing time. So, of course, that might make you want to stay at the school you're at instead of just transferring somewhere. But if you knew you could just transfer and not have to sit out, you can see I could see certain positions get affected more than anything. Of course, quarterback, say, both guys redshirt and they're both redshirt sophomores battling for a position. Guys might go and transfer quicker, or Colin Hill or anybody at certain positions, I can see where certain guys at, at high profile positions, I can see where guys would transfer more. I, I really could see that, especially if it's running back quarterback, or I, I can't really think of maybe like, well, I don't think every other position guys rotate pretty evenly. So I don't know, maybe a receiver, but the high profile position, especially your one player can, you can be one player away at some of those positions. I can see where guys could maybe start transferring more or use that as leverage.
0: Especially if you take it to the basketball But yeah, I can definitely see that Turning into a freaking Disaster with basketball Because basketball is already A cesspool of transferring to begin with But um, since we're Finally done with that topic I guess that we're going to go ahead And move on to the news items And that is going to be presented As always by Mr. Derek Thomas You have
2: quite a bit of news In Bulldog land today (laughs) Uh, First up is we have a new softball coach, and she was an assistant softball coach last year, but now the Samantha Ricketts era will begin in women's softball. Also, Darius Slay reports to Detroit Lions camp. Of course, Darius Slay is one of the top cornerbacks in the NFL. He's seeking a new contract. Uh, we have some award list additions. Dashiell was added to the Thorpe list, Errol and Willie to the Buckets list, and Farrah Green is on the Mackey list. Also, Daryl Williams is on the Remington Award list. So even though uh, we picked to finish fifth, we have some talent on this Bulldog team. So I, I think we're going to shock some people this year.
0: Okay. I mean, that sounds great. And um, one thing that I wanted to mention about the whole um, softball coach situation is I love Coach Van. I really, really do. But when the coach at Ole Miss came in, he did for Ole Miss's softball program what Vic Schaefer did for our women's basketball program. And um I don't know how many people out here are listening to keep up with softball, but Ole Miss has a really, really nice softball facility. And uh, you know, it's it's no secret, okay? I went to Ole Miss for graduate school. Now um Newt's Park, the um, softball facility at Mississippi State, is really – is is nice. It's new. It's big. But I've been to both, and I got to admit, I'd probably rather watch a softball game at Ole Miss. And Ole Miss' softball team was trash when I was there for graduate school. And then they won the SEC tournament, and then they got to like the final 16 of the softball uh, Women's College World, World Series this year. And Mississippi State is still egregiously mediocre. So even though I love Coach Van, I think that it was the right move to make. So we're going to now transition into the O-line tight end preview. And I'm actually going to start off with Mr. Derek Thomas, since he seems to be very enthusiastic about this topic.
2: All right. All right. So offensive line, you know you cannot win. You cannot win a football game without having a good offensive line. I mean, it just—it just isn't going to happen. You know, you could have the best quarterback, the best running back, the best wide receivers, but if you don't have the big uglies, as we're called, and i, I even though I was a Bushman, my offensive line was my position in high school. You will not win many football games. You may. Score a few points, maybe win a few games. But without a dominant offensive line, you you can just say you're going to be an afterthought in any college football conference. Uh, here's the thing. Our offensive line is, has some talent. We have some guy, a lot of guys who play. We had a couple of guys drafted last year. But our projected starters are at left tackle, Tyree Phillips. At left guard, Darren Parker. At center, Darrell Williams, who's on a couple of award lists and SEC lists. Stuart Reese at right guard, and Tommy Champion at right tackle. Now, that's a little different because Greg Allen was a started tackle last year, as well was Stuart Reese. So now Reese has kicked in to guard, and Greg Allen has been beaten out by Callaway Charger, my alma mater, Tommy Champion. Here's the thing. I think that makes us offensive line stronger. Because Greg Allen is a double digit game starter in the SEC. That means he is battle tested, even though he has shown some inability to keep up with quicker block or quicker pass rushers. I really think that Allen is more suited to play guard, even though he has the length and height of a tackle. It's his feet, to my knowledge, to my, uh, that keeps him from being a dominant tackle. Uh, on the second stream, we have Redstroke, freshman. I'm not going to try to say his first name, but Dollar Bill Johnson, uh, Michael Story at left guard, Darren Parker at center, LaQuistian Sharp at right guard, and, of course, the aforementioned Greg Allen. Um, backing up, Parker at center is LaQuistian Sharp. Um, and, of course, at left tackle on the third string, we have five-star freshman Charles Cross and for the next couple of shows, I'm going to be work, We're going to be working on a position change topic, and the person who was supposed to be backing up Daryl Williams was James Jackson, who came to Mississippi State as a defensive tackle, a nose guard, with a, I guess, with a determination to be a run stopper. Um, he redshirted his freshman year at the on defense, moved over to offense the next year. Now this year he's moving back over to defense. To help bolster the defensive line where well, we have a lot of young, unproven talent. Well, Jackson is a young, unproven player. So I really feel like they should have left him at center because you have your back, you have your starting guard as your backup center, and your backup right guard as your third string center. So what happens if one of those guys gets injured or something happens? Uh James Jackson is gonna come back over to the offensive line. And He's not practicing with the offense. He's practicing with the defense, which could hurt our, I guess you could say, continuity. The young man has talent. He can play both ways. I really wish they would left him at offensive line so that he could find his niece somewhere and be able to contribute to the offensive line because he's definitely going to be needed if we have any injuries on the offensive line. We're trying to think about getting Cole Smith transferring from LSU. We got some other young freshmen coming in, but... You know, unless they just come in ready to play, I think they're going to be redshirted. I think the only freshman offensive lineman that will play will be Charles Cross, but I think he's only going to play four games unless we have some injuries for him to have to burn that redshirt, unless he just comes in and shows out.
0: I want to thank Derek for that very robust um, offensive line breakdown. So I'm going to shoot it now over to Jeremiah Short, and see what he thinks about the tight end position, which might as well not exist because we're not actually going to to the tight end, and the offensive line. Well, I think the tight end
1: position is one where I think they, we already know who the start is going to be. Uh, just to touch on that position as far as what to probably look out for, don't be surprised you see Brad Cummins and Jaquarius probably kind of get in the mix and really be guys who potentially can make an impact by the end of the year behind a uh, Ferrar Green, assuming they usurp uh, Dante Jones as the second and third string guy. Um, but touching on the offensive line, um, I would just probably begin just by disagreeing with Derek as far as the Charles Cross thing. I want everybody to kind of press the stop button when it comes to him. Uh, everybody keeps saying he's going to play. He very well may be our future left tackle. He has the goods, but he's 270 pounds. He's basically a big tight end right now. He's not going to play this year. He plays this year. It's probably an issue. We don't want him to play this year because he's too little. Now, he has a talent to eventually the you really, you the realize you had at, the
2: four-game rule, right? I did say four games and then redshirt. And if the only way he plays is if someone gets hurt. I didn't say he was going to take someone's position.
1: I never said he was going to take anybody's position. I know you even said that he played four games, but there's no reason to put him on the field. He is 270 pounds to make it clear. If it sounds like I said 207 pounds, but he's only 270 pounds. He should not play this year, period. He just shouldn't step on the SEC field. Now, it may seem like I'm making a bold statement. He just shouldn't play. I think people are getting caught up in the stars. we got a guy behind him, behind uh, Tyree Phillips and Quintrevious Johnson, or as others call him, Dollar Bill, that has guy that red shirt last year and is ready to play, and it's behind him. There's no reason to play Charles Cross. We're getting caught up in the stars, and Johnson was a four-star as well. Um, and just, just to really now just get into the rest of the offensive line, I really like the look of the offensive line right now. With a Tyree Phillips at left tackle, at left guard, you have a Darian Parker, who who is beating out Michael Story, who many projected to be the start of the left guard position. Um, then you have center uh, with Darrell Williams, who's projected to be a potential uh, Remington Award winner. At right guard, you uh, they uh, slid Stuart Reese down to probably his more natural right guard spot. And then at right tackle, you have a Greg Island, which may be a more natural spot for him, um, but you do have a tummy to champion. If he doesn't, you know, step up and, but I think he will, I think right tackle would just be more natural for him. And then they slid Tyree Phillips over to the other side. Now to touch on the James Jackson, I don't think they messed up his career in that way. Cause he only played the position for a little bit of time at the cause level. That does happen. I think basically what it was, when Queston sharp was coming in, he was got was coming off an injury. at know, they may have thought, Hey, he's not going to be ready. So we got to get him over there at that potential. We need a backup at that spot. And he's a guy that potentially, he played it in high school. But at the same time, they saw the lack of depth at that de-tackle position. He's a guy that can eat up blocks. So I, I think it was a short-term change, but this does happen in college football. They make a change and they switch you back. So I don't think it'll be detrimental to his career, but the Quentin Sharp like he's a guy that's coming in ready to play. So I think, you know, they probably like, hey, we can go ahead and slide him back over the defense. We probably need him more. Um, so they may have had that in mind the whole time to move him back. Because I was shocked that they moved him to the offensive line begin with considering that we were losing so many deep tackles. So I I I really like this offensive line position. I have think they have a uh, the potential to be a lot better. I don't see a lot of chinks. I see where you have at least eight guys that can play. And then you can have a Lequench sharp or you'll probably see Daryan Parker slide down the center if Darrell Williams was to get hurt. So I think we have a very, very point experience but solid offensive line. I think we have three juniors, uh, at least how many seniors do they have starting excuse me. Um one I think two senior stars and three juniors. So we have a very experienced offensive line. A lot of the guys have played, even in the backup role. So I think it will be one of our strong suits this year. And I mentioned before, I think I talked about in the Black Dogs Matter group, the offensive line position is probably going to be the position that no one is really talking about, but they're probably going to end up being one of the better positions possibly in the SEC.
2: And guess what they're going to do with James Jackson after this year on defense, though? Guess where he's going back to? Back to offense. We don't know that. That's what think that's are the plan. That's the plan. That's what I, that, that's, where, the, where, that's what the is plan.
1: your story. What is your source on
2: it? You know what? I think I saw that on, on a jeans page that he's going to be From moved who? back to offensive center after of this year. Who stated this? I don't have it right in front of me, Jeremiah. Why are you trying to? Why are you trying to bust me out asking for sources? Do I ask you for your sources when you say stuff?
1: I uh, would I have the sources, and we normally previously discussed mm-hmm. this stuff on the show. But just like anybody, when you posit information like is, uh, like like as you're an authority when it comes to this particular information, you don't need to say this when you don't have proof of it. We don't know that I, that's the plan. You know what?
2: You know what is I saw it on Gene's page, but they, that's the plan to move him back to offense after this year. That's the I don't that's, know that's that. what we said. From who you know, like what? You you know, what? Like you know what Jeremiah, you have an account on Genius Page since you want to call out, so why don't you go find it? It's there.
1: But the problem is that should be something that's openly discussed. You can't start discussing another person's future without having real proof of it. It's not me trying to charge you up but you have no proof of this. No, so you, that's that's like...
2: what you did try to charge me up. If that if that's what they were told in 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 their meetings, that's what they that's what they wrote. That's what they discussed. The coaches are the always going to tell you. reporters. There. So why don't you go to James' page and find it, like I went and read it. That, go play. Well, but that. as somebody for one, you that. play college ball and go you, do that. you, no, I
1: don't. I, I think it's fair. We're talking about kids' futures. We shouldn't be discussing like what we know the plan is. What coach you know is going to tell reporters what the plan is a year ahead of time? They don't even know after time. And if they moved him back to Detroit, and guarantee there's no plan to move him back, probably. So they're not going to do that to his career like that. But they moved him back to Detroit because they know it's probably a pretty high need. Now, Nathan Pickering, and those guys come in, they might make some decisions, but you got to look at the positions. The, a lot of guys that we have coming in, guys that are at that Detroit position, a lot of those guys are three techniques. James Jackson is a, is a zero, uh, a face up nose guard, or a one technique. Um, he, has, he has a position of need on that defense right now. We don't really have that guy outside of Elite Autry. Who isn't a high impact player. So I, I don't see where he's for sure gonna move back to offense. We don't know that. Those other guys could have bossed it ahead so far. So no coach is gonna make that type of decision a year ahead of time, especially when it comes to positions, which is you can't do that. That's not you don't play with people's futures like that. People will transfer. So it's hard for me to believe that. Well he Steve volunteered. He
2: volunteered from what
0: the story said, Jeremiah. He volunteered. You know, as much as I would like for us to sit here and, you know, have this debate. Um, I'm gonna have to ask you all to, you know, perhaps off air, uh settle this the old fashioned way, like a fist fight or a dance battle. All right, Ricardo, um any thoughts on the off well, not the offensive line position. Oh actually, yeah. The offensive line slash the tight end position. I just want them to
3: block well so we can have a have a five running game so Kylie Hill can run for over a thousand and Nick Gibson can get at least by five or six hundred. Uh, rushing yards and blocks, so that so the quarterback can sit back in the pocket and go through his progression. That's all I hope we can do. And then for the, when it comes to the tight end
0: position, I I really don't
3: really don't know who we really got
0: that tight end. You know? It doesn't matter because they not go throw the ball to him anyway. Exactly,
3: like we had Jordan Thomas there and just waste all his time away. Then he gets to the NFL and ball up. So I, I seen that. I'm like, man, Mullen, what is wrong with you? Like, we could have used that big dude. But I think, uh, when it comes to Moorhead, I think Moorhead, when that offense he runs, I think they use the, uh, tight ends a little bit more in his offense than we did with Muck So I'm hoping that that relates from the Big Ten onto here. So I'm just hoping we, you know what I'm saying, magnify our, our options, man. The first five buns. To do, to use the right people and put them in the right situation to put them in space to to make plays. That's all I want.
0: Right, 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 right. And I, you know what? Um, I totally agree with that. But you know, a thousand yards to Kyle Hill is a little bit low. I mean, why not aim for like two two thousand? That sounds good. Um, first team All American, all of that good stuff. He, he, he can get this. He, he He's capable of getting there. Honestly, like he has the talent to do that. Absolutely, absolutely. So um that actually is going to bring us to our last topic. So before the show, we were sitting around and we were talking, and we had a robust discussion conversation about who is the best bulldog in the NFL right now. I personally said that the topic wasn't worth having because I see it obviously is Fletcher Cox. Now that's not necessarily what I think per se so much as that Fletcher Cox is the one with all of the superlatives. However, the guys assured me that they could make some pretty effective arguments for people not named Fletcher Cox. So um, with that being said, I'm going to hand it over to Mr. Jeremiah Short first. Uh,
1: When it comes to the top Bulldogs and the pros, of course, Fletcher Cox is up there. There's no doubt that he's one of the top guys in the NFL, but I think that would be us probably not showing the proper respect to a Chris Jones or a Darius Slater. And even more so, Darius, like Chris Jones kind of really just got hot last year. But he had that great streak where he had like 11 inter, not interception sacks in a row or games where he had a sack. I mean, you can't really just, that just doesn't happen at the NFL level. It, really doesn't, it barely happens at the college level. Um, so you have to look at where guys are in position of their actual position. Darius Slade, you honestly could say is probably one of the top, probably five cornerbacks in the league when it comes to being locked down his ability just to make plays at that position. Um, up there with a Jalen Ramsey. Fletcher Cox, of course, is one of the top D tackles. But Chris Jones, he'll probably be right up there right now himself with the Aaron Donald, with the Fletcher Cox. He probably in that top five of just overall dominance. So yes, Fletcher Cox, in a sense, based off of his longevity right now, he's been in the league about seven, eight years now. Um, You can possibly call him the top bulldog, but at the same time, those other guys deserve their respect, Darius Slay and what he's been able to do. I think Darius Slay doesn't get probably the proper credit, probably even as a bulldog, because one he only spent one year at Mississippi State as far as, as a starter. And at the same time, he's not the most loquacious guy. He's not the Fred Smoot type. He's not a big talker, although he is big play slay. He isn't a guy that just doesn't stand out like that. And I think that's the reason he doesn't get the credit that he deserves, or doesn't get the credit for being a top guy. And, I, and I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention a KJ Wright, the only one in the Super Bowl, been one of the best linebackers in the league, most consistent linebackers in the league. But all the turnover they've had in Seattle... He's been a guy that stayed there throughout that whole time. So I definitely think we have to show him his proper respect as well. But, yes, I can see where Fletcher Cox is the top guy, but I think Chris Jones and Derek Slay are right there with him.
0: I think that what I'm taking away is that you uh, you really like Chris Jones and you also like Darius Slate. Um, it's really nice to see Chris Jones doing pretty good because I think that even Darius Thomas will agree he finally stopped taking plays off like he did at Mississippi State. <laughs> and so that's why he's finally starting to come along. So speaking of Derrick Thomas, I'm going to go ahead and hand it over to him. Well, I mean, outside of
2: Fletcher Cox, one of the most dominant bulldog defenders who's done it over a couple of years, it's has McKinney. I mean, he has been the, one of the starting linebackers in that dominant Houston Texas defense. I mean, you got to look at who they have on their defense JJ Watt, Jadaven Clowney. Bernard McKinney could easily be overshadowed, but he still rides to the premium of crop and is one of the best linebackers on the field. Um, you know, I don't want to mention that because we know what's happening with him with his contract. Also, Chris Jones, you know, having a breakout year, definitely to get him re signed. So he could be a dominant player. You also got to look at Gabe Jackson. He's still starting with the hated Raiders over there in Oakland underneath um, John Gruden. I'm sorry, Los Angeles, uh, soon to be Las Vegas Raiders. Um, so a- actually, you it's look- the Oakland Raiders. You had it right the first time. Okay, well, one of them. One of them downtown. They keep moving back and forth. They don't know where they want to go. Uh, but Gabe Jackson has been a starboard on that offensive line for Oakland. And... And you have to look at that as a as, as a good sign that, you know, he, he he's going to get the big bucks. Also, K.J. Wright um, has a Super Bowl ring with the Seahawks. You know, he's been a little injury, injury-prone, but he's, he's going to be starting for the Seahawks in that Rue 2 defense. Not the Legion of Boom anymore, but he's going to be starting in that defense. So, you know, a lot of good Bulldogs in the NFL, a lot of young Bulldogs trying to make their way in the NFL – uh, when you look at the aforementioned Jordan Thomas, as Ricardo mentioned, we have some offensive linemen, Malcolm Johnson's with the Packers. And we know Aaron Rodgers likes to use his tight ends, even though um, Jim is going to be the starting tight end. Eldon Jenkins, you know, uh, with the Packers as well. We got bulldogs to in the NFL.
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely. I remember back when um – um. Back when I was at Mississippi State, we would be lucky if we had a guy drafting like the fifth round or go as a unrestricted free agent or something like that. And now it's like, you know, the NFL is littered with Bulldogs. I absolutely love it. So um, now we're going to hand things over to Ricardo Suggs to see who his favorite Bulldog in the NFL is, even though I have it in my head it's going to be a certain quarterback with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, you're wrong, sir. But
3: uh, if it's gonna be a quarterback, mm, no, it's not a quarterback. My favorite bulldog in the league probably have to be. Uh, I can't choose no one Seahawks because I'm a 49ers fan. Can't be Dak, he on the Cowboys. A 49ers fan. Uh, probably have to be Jordan Thomas. Reason being because his athletic ability, his height, and his, um, he, he can basically be like a grunt type player, where he can he can, he can, you on the split out, or he can get down and block. He pretty much can do it all. He wasn't used to the, to, the extent of his ability when he was at State, kind of like Gronk was at uh, Arizona, but then he has the potential if he keeps continues to work at his game, he can probably be great down there in, in Houston because they, they'll use their tight ends because uh, Deshaun Watson likes to move around out of the pocket a lot. And if someone's covering a double-teaming, uh forgot to just the DeAndre Hopkins, he can be open in the middle of the field because uh, a linebacker can't get on him because he outrun him and then a safety, he's too big for him. So i, I had to say Jordan Thomas.
0: Okay, uh, absolutely. I, I don't know why I thought that he played for the um, Miami Dolphins, but I believe that that's Corey Thomas, but I can't be sure. Uh, so um, I guess that brings us to the end of the ninth episode of the I Black dogs sports podcast um i'm gonna end this episode the same way that i always do by going around to all the guys just like we do at the beginning of the show and we're going to debrief and see what they got on their mind so i'm gonna go ahead and start off with jeremiah short um i just want to go i just want to thank all the guys for the show the
1: lifelong pickup player and debut player Um, My sparring partner for tonight's show And Derek, and then just AJ, man Just for a great show and doing a great job of mediating Our food business tonight
0: Okay, so uh, Yeah, as you heard Jeremiah Say, we're just like on the Movie You Got Served We handle beef the same way that people do in the streets, with dance battles All right, so uh, Derek, what you got (laughs) What you got going on tonight, other than You know, a Star Wars convention
2: Man, I'm finna get out of the house and go do something, have some fun. I turn 39 tomorrow. So I'm ready ready to get out get out of the house and have some fun. All
0: right. Um, speaking of which, how did your uh did you go to Game of Thrones trivia the other night or something like that? Um,
2: I actually <laughs> didn't get a chance to go. I stayed home and spent time with my daughter, who just got back to Jackson, got back to Baton Rouge from her summer vacation in Jackson. But I will be going next Monday at the at Midtel, uh Bar in Baton Rouge. They have Game of Thrones trivia every night on every Monday night, so I'm definitely gonna be checking it out. All right, that
0: sounds like a good look. Ricardo Suggs, uh what long-winded shout out do you have this week?
3: Uh well, I like to shout out to everybody that was on the podcast today. I feel like we did an excellent job. I, so I've been seeing the. Love that we've been getting, man, we on the we on the A scene, man. Like for real. Like I've heard some people down here talking about, you know what I'm saying, our podcast or whatever. They've been seeing and, like on different, you know what I'm saying, strategies and different uh avenues, like with Apple Music and Spotify, and things of that nature. I've been telling people down here in Texas about it. And with that being said, um like I like I try to do every week, you know, I had to be the the one to uh, to try to bring some type of social commentary to our our show to try to broaden the horizons of it. Um, Really don't too much have anything this week, but um, I I don't think I had to tell everybody because I know out of me and a few more members of the podcast, we stay out of state, but we're from Mississippi. And uh, the people that – we have family there. um, Everything that that just passed happened from um, Hurricane – what was that thing name? Barry? Name yeah, like um, everything was pretty, I thought it was going to be pretty bad, but everything turned out good. And I want to send like uh, my condolences to the family out there in Brookhaven. Their, uh, their family member was uh, shot and killed in a home evasion, Uh I want to say yesterday. Um, only thing I can say is just, just keep everybody, you know, in, in, in your thoughts. You know, and whoever, whatever denomination you is, whether you're Christian, whoever you believe in, the chance to, you know what I'm saying, think about them. And just uh, something to show us that we have to love and care for each other and and let stupid stuff slide, slide to the side.
0: Hey, good looking out. Uh, actually, I am the one of the few people on the podcast who does actually reside in the state of Mississippi. Uh, I live in Jackson, just so that just so that y'all know, FYI. All right, so that brings us to the end of the ninth episode of the Black Dog Sports Podcast. In the words of Coach Vic Schaefer, "Praise the Lord and go dogs." And one more thing: if you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. K bye.